Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ask Dr. Drew. We are going to have some very interesting guests today. Kate Shanahan, of course, she's uh, at the front line of dietary uh, recommendations, particularly as it pertains to uh, preventing the complications of COVID. And in just a moment, I'm going to be introducing Dr. Lori Pennington Gray, Director of the Tourism Crisis Management Initiative at University of Florida. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble. You can't stop and you want help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. I want to get into... Uh, some different aspects of um, COVID today, including travel. Uh, speaking of travel, I just got these very, very, very cool um, travel-related uh, UV lights. You can scan over you know, your, your, your equipment, your luggage, your airline seat, your Uber, whatever it might be. If you guys are interested in this thing, I'm going to be using it when I travel. Uh, you can get that at 866-4-RED-HAWK as well as a fancier one for people that have more sort of uh, industrial type stuff. And don't forget, the uh, everyone needs their thermometer as well. So 866-RED-HAWK. That number is also, let's see, I wrote the number. I broke it down at a certain point. Uh, 866, hold on here, buddy, 473-3429. And um, I'm watching you all on the uh, stream. Try it out. Yep, try it out, everybody. Uh, and hi, mommies. Hi, jeans. Hi, you all signing into the chat room here. We're going to have a chance for calls. Uh, that number is somebody want to help me with that? Uh, 9842 Dr. Drew. 9842 Dr. Drew. Thank you very much. Uh, it should be up on the screen there somewhere. I'm going to get the calls up that we have. Yeah, we already have calls on the line, such as it is. So uh, we will go look at that. Uh, looking at the uh, COVID data, everybody, I was just going over some stuff before we get into these uh, sort of uh, our interviews today and your questions as well. Um, best updates, T. Bailey from Dr. Fauci will be at the CDC website. What's up, J.H.? Good afternoon, Terry. Uh, can the thermometers cause brain tumors? No trash dash. They cannot. Um so looking at the COVID data, I think everyone's aware that it's been an uptick. Um, and had there not been an uptick, I would have been wondering, well, I would have been suggesting that the lockdown was a complete sham because if we can all congregate in the streets and begin to go to restaurants and bars and have no uptick, that would be ridiculous to have shut us down in that case. So good news is shutdown probably served some good purpose. It may have gone, we can argue about how long it should have gone. That's kind of a different issue. Uh, but shutdown while we figured things out was probably a good thing, particularly now that we see 
that things are increasing out there. Uh, so uh, looking at the data such as it is, uh, San Bernardino out here in Southern California was a big concern. That has already started to trend downward. Orange County, also a concern, has started to trend downward. L.A. County is continuing up. But none of the L.A. Uh, data that I can see is accelerating the way it is in other states. Like we're going to talk to um, Dr. Pennington Gray in a second about Florida, but Arizona, for instance, is accelerating. So in other words, each day you see 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 7,000, 10,000. You see increasing exponential, not necessarily exponential, but at least a delta changing that it's accelerating. And that's concern. And most of those states where they're having acceleration are not doing a great job with um, the mask, guys. And I understand. I'm, I am certainly uh, sympathetic to people that don't want to wear masks. But look at the data. Just look at the data. I understand it's an imposition. I understand you're tired of the government telling you what to do. But don't squander this opportunity. Um, Susie, you want to get on mic and talk about our little experience this weekend? <laughs> Lindsay's laughing. If you don't want to listen to the government. Well, people don't. They they're, they're, Don't draw the line at the mask. That's not the place to draw the line. There's a lot of other things you can do to, to push back. That's not it. So, well, it's true, though. And it is kind of the man telling you what to do is it's never cool. yeah, now don't make it the man make it your decision when you look at the data <laughs> look at the data i wear one everywhere except um this weekend we went out to dinner we we got into our seats at dinner time and we were separated and it was it was kind of nice because the the restaurant was open and we had a window behind us felt really confident and then we went over to visit our friends who were having dinner at the place nearby and it, there, it was sort of a bar area, but they weren't, it wasn't open as a bar. You had to be eating dinner, but we got to slide in and buy around the birthday girl a round of drinks. And, um, and it was funny because people still like to come up and shake Drew's hands and say hello, and they get right in your face. People have been drinking. It's, like, it's really weird, like, yeah. like right in your face. And you're already sitting next to people kind of close, but nobody was wearing the mask as they came across the room which I feel like when you're walking through a room full of people breathing, it's probably a good idea to wear it. And when I go to the ladies' room, nobody in the ladies' room was wearing it except for the, the person that was cleaning the ladies' room, and she looked terrified. And I was just like, I had a mask on because I feel like you're in an enclosed area and somebody's in the stall before you and they could have sneezed and, you know, whatever. But um, they did have hot water and soap, so that was good. But I... But when I walked in with my mask, this woman looked at me, this dimwit, um, and she goes, oh, oh, I forgot my mask. And I was like, yeah, go get it. Like, what the hell? <laughs> and I'm, I'm an elderly woman. I, I, you know, I'm not <laughs> elderly. I, I have to do this for my, the safety of my family. And, and also I want to be able to come here and, and work, but I'm going to get tested this week and, and make sure. Yeah. So we we're going to talk about travel up. in just a second. About but people all those. do like to shake Drew's hands. So I immediately pulled out the hand sanitizer and squirted his hands and, and pulled me away from and somebody. They, she like, and they thought that all the girls at the table thought that was very cute yeah. that I was protecting him. We thought it was important. So, uh, King's check, before I go to my guest, uh, have any idea how, no, 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 I'm sorry, it wasn't your question, ah, Amy Aho, and I'll ask, Aho, uh, A-H-O, uh, how do masks work if the virus is small? So, 
the virus travels on droplets and droplets happen when we speak and they go nose to nose droplets gets away from us so the way we prevent the droplets is put it something over our mouth and then something over yours so there's going to be no transmission yes there's a possible transmission by viral particles but for the most part the virus travels on droplets that get caught by the, the cloth masks this has been shown over and over in research so let's not let's not continue you, you can look at alex berenson's stuff he's he's always questioning a pre currently prevailing wisdom and i say his stuff is good uh taylor uh let me taylor david let me repeat the h1n1 killed 500,000 people infected 1 billion people i'll check that make sure that data is correct uh and what i was saying was don't panic try to try to adjust your panic relative to a previous pandemic that killed 500,000 young people and infected 1 billion and you don't even know that happened so don't panic about this one I'm not saying and then i would always say follow the cdc's recommendations follow dr fauci's recommendations all right let's see uh let's see look at the fatality rate from h1n1 really quickly here and we'll get our guest in here in just a second here's from the cdc this is their website h1n1 2009 uh now we're vaccinated yes i'm aware of that uh let's see if we can figure out uh h1n1 uh, hmm, it's hard to get the actual data off this website unfortunately give me one second if i can see it nope can't uh correct me if i if i uh Oh, here's comparing H1N1 versus the 2020 pandemic. That's interesting. Uh, March 7, 2009. Um, oh, shoot. I, unfortunately, I can't do it in shorthand. Susan, maybe you want to look that up for me while I introduce the guest. I want to know the death fatality rate and the um, infection uh, rate of H1N1 in 2009. Uh, if we can just get that. And now we'll get your calls in a few minutes, too. I'm looking at the restream again uh all right let's go to my guest uh, she is dr lauren pennington gray the director of the tourism crisis management initiative at the university of florida you can see more at tourismcrisis.org she uh, researches systems approach to uh, demand side and supply side issues around tourism uh we're looking at destinations response to this crisis since january 2020 uh, the data on her website is collected weekly to help the travel industry understand where they're at. But uh, Dr. Pennington Gray is hopefully can help us understand what we should be doing when we travel. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Great. Great to be here. Thanks, Drew, for yeah. inviting me. You bet. Uh, so, uh, you know, my Susan is, I'm sure she's told you, is a... a um, Travel agent. Travel agent. And she has she spends, mm, what, a couple hours a day on websites looking at travel and seeing, <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, she alerted me to the fact that United Airlines will resume flights to China on July 8th. That seems kind of remarkable given where we are. Do you, let, let's just start with something simple. Do you have any concerns about the current uptick and how it's going to affect travel? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, they, it's concerning. Uh, it's concerning for the industry itself, uh, particularly those businesses that were able to start up and we're starting to see occupancies increase. Uh, and now there's, um, in the last day, there's been some actual policy decisions based on the long weekend where they've decided to close the beaches in two major destinations in Florida. And so that's going to actually have some impact to the industry as well. So, so I want to so, yeah. zero in on that a little bit. Like here in California, we've seen a spike, but we're, we're sort of plateauing. Um, we're not really accelerating. I mean, there's certain areas, Imperial County and stuff like that, and which is sort of the message right now is all everything is very localized, county by county in terms of epidemiology. People should be keeping their 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 focus on. But California is sort of I can feel that California is going to going to pick up and sort of stay on a plateau that's a little higher than they were at before. Just judging how people are behaving here. But Florida and Arizona seem to be sort of accelerating. Am, am I getting that right? And if so, what's going to happen to cruises and Disney World and all that good stuff in Florida? Right, exactly. So I think that's the concern is that as this continues daily, that there's more cases than the day before right. uh, that we're going to have more more concerns uh, with the cruise line industry that operates out of South Florida and West Florida. Um, you know, the amusement parks, the theme parks in Central Florida as well, uh, that are in conversations about what it's gonna look like when they open um, and that they already are in a phased approach, but um, is that maybe gonna be prolonged a little bit longer now because of this as well? Florida does not look as bad as Arizona. I'm looking at the daily data here. So Florida went from 108, I'm just giving you the daily count, 8,000, 10,000, 9,000, 5,000. So it's actually coming back down a little bit in Florida. The death rate has gone uh, 50, 40, 60, 40, 30. So it's not really, death rate's not changing. Uh, the case rate is sort of slowing in Florida. Are people behaving better? Are they wearing their masks? Um, I would say that there are pockets of people wearing masks, but I think that's definitely the message that needs to get out, that people need to wear their masks. And I think there's, um, you know, some pent-up demand. Our research is suggesting that as well, is that people want to get back and um, they want to take their vacation. Uh, it is a long weekend that's coming up. So yeah. people have been quarantined and they're, you know, been isolated and they're ready uh, to kind of move I, forward. And I would so argue that it's more than some pent up demand. I, I think it's dramatic <laughs> pent up demand. And that's why people are misbehaving. Uh, the, yeah. the Disney World, you're going to have to be in the hotel to get into the theme park. Is that right? Yeah. Which is and so wearing masks and also having, um, just like in the um, in the grocery stores where they've got areas um, quartered off and they tell you exactly how how just far apart people off. have to stand, distancing yeah. exactly that um, they're going to have that on the floors, uh, you know, in the walkways inside any of the attractions, etc. So oh, my my kids wouldn't be able to kiss Mickey Mouse's nose. No, they can't touch the character's not going to come <laughs> oh, out even. That used to drive me crazy. I, I, when my kids are like three and four, they go mini mini Mickey Mickey. I'm like, don't kiss the nose, <laughs> and they always would, and then they throw up for three days. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything to this uh, Atmos Air Solutions air purification system that they're going to try to get the ship's uh, air a little more purified? Is that for real? Is that something? 
I know that they're working on that. Um, and I think that's something that could bode well for the cruise industry, definitely. And the waters, you know, all the other stuff that they have to deal with there, of course, but um, which are different pathogens, not, not the viruses so much, not this virus so much. Um, so UV lights. Uh, do you have any feeling about that? This is this is the light that I think is pretty interesting. It's a light you can, I, I think, in terms of taxis and Ubers and airplane seats. And, I, and to me, this seems like a giant leap forward. Uh, is is it real? And should we, Show it should again. I, should I be using? Hold you know, it up a little higher. Should I be using this one? You know, which is a, a you know a real portable <laughs> unit that has. Uh, Seems like a pretty intense light there versus uh, sort of a larger wand like this. I mean, do we have? Do <laughs> you we might know get arrested for that other one. The big one or this one? Yeah, the other one looks like a hairbrush. You might, you might, they might take that away from you. The hairbrush? No, the long one. The long one, yeah, yeah. I think this one is At specifically designed for travel, and I and I would put it, I would do it over the seats on the rides at Disney World. I do it over everything. I mean, UV <laughs> light really is a very effective uh, way to kill virus and bacteria. Yeah. I think, you know, the research would suggest the more that we can engage in personal protection behavior, then the more likely we are to keep ourselves safe. So, you know, things like that, um, where we can take some of the um, control into our own hands are good things. Uh, whether one of those products works and the other doesn't, I'm not an expert in that area, but I would say... Is there, there, there people, on, people in the chat are doubting it. whether it's strong enough to work? Are there places we can see the... Uh, sort of efficacy data is there anything anybody out there consumer pro reports or something that are doing that i'm not aware of that unfortunately uh, amy i think there are consumer reports out there i will try to get that for you okay because obviously we don't want you wasting your time with uv lights but the, this uh, uh her point is if it's not enough to blind you it's not enough to kill the virus i don't believe that is true i believe that uh, there is a duration of exposure issue it may be a slower process than we'd like it to be to uh you know, hold the light over a surface that you're trying to um, sterilize. Are uh, in terms take of take some Clorox wipes? It does. Yeah, uh, Tony's Tom cigars. Red Hawk does not yet have a website. They have a website for these devices. The the sand mini. The sand mini. The you know needle, needle destruction. Needle destruction device dot com. Uh, are there? Um, issues as it pertains to european travel they they're closing us off right they're the other european countries are not allowing americans to come in is that accurate currently that's correct yeah they're the u.s is not on the approved list and, and do you have any idea how long that's likely to last well what the experts are saying is when they start to see that the virus has been controlled more in the u.s that they will start to reevaluate that but hmm. As of right now, that it is not on the list. Whatever that means by controlled. <laughs> if somebody were going to pick a place to try to get away to, do you have any kind of favorite suggestions right now? Well, I think most of the research would suggest that people want to stay domestically. Mm -hmm. uh, and well, I we think have to pretty much, right? I mean, there's very yeah, few places correct. we can go. I guess China next week. <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, you know, close to home, I think, is the other um, piece of this, is that people would like to be within driving distance of their home, but further enough away to, you know, stay overnight. Uh, we have seen increase in Airbnb bookings. Um, there have been more bookings uh, and nights and uh, listings since May the 17th to June the 3rd than this time last year. 
Uh, so, so there's some indication that people are interested in staying in the peer-to-peer -peer accommodations in the rental industry. Um, you can see that here in Florida as well. Uh, we've had uh, tremendous bookings in Airbnbs along the coast, especially. Uh, I think there's also some interest in traveling uh, to parks and national parks, as well as state parks, areas um, that they can explore outdoors and you can physically distance as well. Mm. Um, opportunities to go to the beach, as we've already mentioned, um, anything that's outside uh, where you can distance yourself from others. I think someone has a question about international travel and quarantine. Let me see if that's what Nathan is up to. Nathan, your question? Hey, Dr. Jean. Uh, quick question on this. How come nobody's really talking about international quarantine? All of our pandemics that we've ever had have been due to lack of international quarantine. If a virus isn't on your soil, how can we get it? And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts were on that. You know, we have a percentage of travelers of international versus with the population of the world and how many people it's affecting. Is it really worth it? And how come we're not talking about implementing a quarantine? I, I'm not sure what you mean by quarantine. You mean prevention from anyone traveling into the country? Both. So Us traveling travel or traveling off out. of our, you know, internet. All right. I, I yeah, would. I, yeah, yeah I, I get you. I, I would argue I, I want to talk about quarantine, what we have to do to quarantine to other countries, because you're going to that'll freak you out when you hear that data. But um, I think the bottom line is, Nathan, we lived in such an interconnected time that we all clearly signed up for interconnectivity and globalization above and beyond our concerns about potential infectious disease complications or even for that matter. As you know, the economics and the job, you know, replacement issue is massively complicated. I think now people are pulling back in and we are quarantining from the standpoint of uh, international travel. It took a lot before people started doing that. And it's going to take a lot, I think, to get us back to where we were, if that's where we want to get. So um, but quarantining sick people is your point. And that's something we've always done. And why we didn't do more of that this time is hard to understand. Maybe we just we just didn't get on it quickly enough. Um, uh, Dr. Um, Lori Pennington Gray, it, the issue of quarantining when we go to other countries, I've had patients go to certain countries in Southeast Asia with negative tests in their hand, like from the day before, and they were quarantined in the airport for two weeks. Is that standard fare for other countries that are even in, at all open to uh, U.S. travelers? Well, I don't think there's any standard. That's the thing. There is a set of standards that have been put forward by the World Travel and Tourism Council um, that countries can adhere to, but each country is looking at um, the policies they implement individually. And so, you know, what you might find in one country may not be the same as what you find in another. And so that experience may not be replicated in another Asian country. Um, you know, I know that they were talking about changing the policy in Hawaii from quarantining in place upon arrival to actually coming, as you just mentioned, with a negative test in hand prior to um, arrival. So that way that people can come in and show that they've had the test, it's negative, and they can have their vacation. Um, Somebody's so where it's... And, it's, it's not even from vacation necessarily. A lot of it is business travelers, too. Well, we were talking earlier about this. She said 
most hotels you'd have to go for two weeks and stay in the room and have your food delivered in order to come to the country or the I don't know where maybe some of the open countries that are available at this point some people say there's a there's a comment here in the chat in the uk they can book luxury travel as well it's not just essential travel i'm so confused does that is that do they mean us to the uk we can go to the uk for vacation as well as or is uk closed to us um right now i i'm not sure what the exact policy is i know that at one time they were talking about you know going for essential business and then they had discussed i'm not sure at this moment what right. the actual policy is. again this is so dynamic it, and it's changing daily it's exactly that so that's what i just what i was thinking when the 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 listener is saying he's confused I, we're all confused because it is changing rapidly right. <laughs> uh, will you keep that updated at the tourismcrisis.org website Definitely. We've been around since 2007. Um, so the more recent data about COVID-19 is definitely, you know, at the forefront. And we'll continue to look at anxiety and trust, um, preferences for certain types of travel, etc. But so that's what um, I, that's yeah, actually we'll, what I want to talk to you about next is the anxiety issue. And by the way, B World, I see you on the thread there. Yes, pandemic just means widespread. It doesn't mean severe. It just means widespread. People use the word pandemic in the press to try to scare you. Uh, use the language as it's accurately. It's all I'm saying. So I saw in some of the data you published that uh, anxiety amongst females and young females in particular is the highest. Um, what would you say to them to encourage them to maybe get out and be in the world again? Agreed. I mean, I think, you know, we're at the point where we mentioned pent up demand. I think there's also, you know, some real concern that people aren't getting out and, you know, spending time outdoors and, um, you know, so social distancing, but at least being around their friends. I would say that we can do these things if we do them safely. Right. You mentioned earlier about wearing the mask and, you know, continuing to use um, hand sanitizer and, um, staying six feet apart, all of these things are important. If we do these things and we are all doing them, then it's important that, you know, some of these young females uh, with high anxiety have the opportunity to go out and actually still live their life and do the things that are important. Let me go back around again and talk about the 2009 H1N1 epidemic, just so you can contextualize it within, it I got it, within the context of the current epidemic. In the... 2009 epidemic there was roughly 60.8 million cases 274,000 hospitalizations 12,500 deaths okay that's h1n1 worldwide 500,000 deaths uh and then it doesn't say the total number somewhere i'd read it was around uh, close to a billion so when people say there are 10 million infected 10 million a billion infected in the 2000s just 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 use the the history to calibrate your emotions <laughs> calibrate your emotions you did not know there was a pandemic in 2009 and yet in the united states uh, again 12,000 people were killed 274,000 people hospitalized and 60 million cases 60 million cases all right just calibrate your emotions everybody this one was a little scarier because of its fatality rate in the elderly population and because of its r not or infectivity so uh and and again it's something that could get uh, really 
badly out of control if we did not pay some attention to this. But the, the reason I knew it would not be like uh, the Imperial College of London suggested it was going to be is because we would do something about this, including quarantining, wearing masks, setting down travel. And now we're trying to get back to it a little bit. Um, so uh, in doing and I would urge everyone to do it safely. And the tourismcrisis.org is where to do so. How do you feel about cruising? Is it safe? <laughs> I think they're doing everything they can can do to keep it safe and make it a safe experience. We were thinking about uh, we were thinking about going on a cruise as a family, were we not? Yes. Yes. But our daughter's a young white female and who's she's nervous about not it. Real happy has anxiety about it. About it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think what's important is that you know what we're finding is that just like your daughter, if she's anxious, some of that is because of what she's hearing and some of it, what she's not hearing. And so, you know, the industry has a responsibility also to ensure that they're putting forward information that sh says what they're doing to keep you safe. Right. And as well, making sure that everybody is aware that they have personal things that they have to participate in to keep themselves safe. So That's it's right. a two-way street. That's right. Wear the mask. Well, earlier I saw on the feed, somebody said Norwegian is putting HEPA filters in and also they've, They've removed like 23 ships, the older ships. Norwegian, so Norwegian cruise ship. Well, no, like Carnival. So I think the newer ships are going to have better technology and then also obviously <coughs> more be able to fill the ships. They probably don't need the 100 ships they're getting rid of. But um, 100 ships? I don't know. I think there's going to be more. But I, think, I don't think people are going to want to go on a cruise. But there are some new ones coming out. Like Virgin has a new one, and they're going to – give everybody a COVID test when they get on board. So, you know, when you check in and they yep. like take your passport, they'll probably swab your nose too. Yeah, they should do it a week later too. Yeah, and then right. I would say, as a travel agent, I would say if you're gonna go on the ship, you if you're with an elderly person, you know, and you get quarantined for a couple of weeks because they find out there's COVID on the ship, you know, make sure you have your medication for two weeks. And um, also make sure that you have the time to be in quarantine after the cruise. And um, uh, somebody's asking on the thread, do you think it's safe to fly? What do we say? Yeah, I think, again, it's important to know which airline you're going with and what practices that they've adopted. Everyone is different. It's not the same. Some are removing the middle seat. Some are removing the exterior seat. Um, some of them have, you know, used... Uh, new sanitation products others are using you know a, another type of fogger um, that they're sending through the airline so i think all of the industry knows that the consumer is looking for this information and it should be available on their website and if it's not then that would be cause for concern i think that's that's part of the responsibility of the industry to be able to share that information my understanding is the the incidence in pilots and flight attendants is very low my also understanding is that they circulate the uh air every eight minutes uh, and then you wear a mask and you don't do much interaction and you should be in pretty, pretty okay shape. Not perfect, but seems pretty safe to me. Do you agree? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it comes down to doing what you need to do and, you know, making sure that they're doing what they're do they're supposed to do. So if both those things are happening, then I would feel safe um, getting on an airplane. Where are you in Florida now? In Gainesville, Florida. 
I, I'm looking as people keep bringing up Miami as though there's some sort of uh, issue going on there. I'm looking at the Miami-Dade County website. Um, mm -hmm. is, are there concerns right now down there? Do you know? Yeah, Miami is, um, I think, where they're concerned with the largest number of cases and continuous. Why are they um, saying that the, the, the hospitals are being overwhelmed? I see no evidence of that. Is there some evidence somewhere that, I mean, is that just the press, again, fear-mongering, or is there actually something going on? I mean, I think the cases are continuing to rise. I'm, and I did hear also on the news today that they said that the hospitals were being overwhelmed. I have not seen the data Hospitals exactly. are being overwhelmed. That, you got to be very careful when the news reports stuff like that. Because they will <laughs> staggering say, numbers. Yeah, they will say staggering surges, grim. They're going to be know, Alzheimer's patients. Yeah, right? and I just don't see the data. I just don't <laughs> see it. Uh, and so I, I, somebody can help me with that. I'm but happy. she's getting local news, too. No, so. I understand. But if people on the thread have some issues, some some website that can show me that hospitals are actually being overwhelmed uh that would be very interesting because uh there's if, a large well, elderly population in miami though and yeah and i understand Beach and, i understand you know, but the increase was a, the increase has been across all age groups the primary increase has been in young people because of the moving about and the demonstrations but of course that can then get into the elderly population i know about a week ago they were shutting off flights in from miami because of it and you know, into Newark. So if you're flying from Florida, you had to maybe have a COVID I just test. don't see it. I, I don't see the data. So maybe somebody can find that for me. I, uh, one second. Let me look up one other website. Well, California, nobody was wearing a mask at the beach where we were yesterday well, you, or the day before. <laughs> yeah, but they're down. Yeah, they are. They are. They're, and? But we have higher cases in Santa Ana and Anaheim and people are coming to work from there and you know it could spread so. let me read the, the, the two articles Miami-Dade County rise in hospitalization rate fall in death rate Miami surging surging uh, so let's see what this one says uh, county has 25% of its ICU beds available which is baseline pretty much maybe 50% is baseline yeah um, so uh, I know. I feel like the governors in each state are trying they are to. They're not surging. They're increasing, but they're not surging. They want you to wear the mask. Just wear the damn mask. Please. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a mom, okay? My kids haven't left the house in three months. I mean, I'm surprised. They're 27 years old. So. Miami has 24% of its hospital beds, 26% of its ICU beds available Tuesday afternoon. So stop it with the overwhelmed. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. We're going to talk about there um, it is. medically correct versus politically correct in the next segment. Yeah, that's what I want to get at because <laughs> the, the ability of the medical providers just to speak the truth has been completely obviated. And it's getting ridiculous. And the I mean, press is, is on a campaign to panic the, the country all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's too much. It's terrible. No wonder the young people are anxious uh, because uh, all you get. Uh, yeah, well, J.H., uh, the data is the data. Uh, okay. Somebody asked earlier on the restream on YouTube, if what about trains? Because I imagine they're doing the same thing as airplanes, right? Mm, they same. don't sound good. They are quite the same way, but go ahead. I was just going to say, we do ask um, in our survey about whether people will travel by trains, and people are apprehensive about traveling by train as well. 
So what, what the industry is doing to sanitize and, you know, to ensure the public that it's safe to do that, that's going to have to increase so that people realize that it's, that they're being taken care of. I, I worry about trains a little bit. I got to say that, that, that particularly before I got the UV light, if indeed it works as well as I think it might, um, that had concerned me. Uh, somebody is asking about the death rate in California. Let me get you that right now. One second. My my sense was it had not changed much at all. Uh, death rate in California. Oops. Here we go. It goes uh, 80, 60, 30, 30. So it's going down, if anything. Uh, so don't worry about that so much. Well, okay, thank you. We appreciate, uh, Laura, you coming and joining us. Again, the website is tourismcrisis.org. Dr. Lori Pennington Gray, Director of the Tourism Crisis Management Initiative at University of Florida in Gainesville. If you have questions about travel, thinking about travel. Oh, one last question. Um, Susan, you brought up Virgin Voyages, thinking about testing for everybody. Is that what you were talking yes. about? So that's the only thing you wanted to bring up about the Virgin, uh, new Virgin cruise line, right? Well, I mean, would... Paulina go on a cruise if she knew everybody was tested. I mean, it's it's reassuring, but still, what if if there's a breakout, you're going to be stuck on a cruise. It. I mean, it it we've every time we've been on a cruise, we've gotten some major illness, you know, because mm -hmm. it it exists. You get off the ship, you catch something, and I I mean, I, I want these companies to come back, and I want people to feel safe. But you know, what are what's going to have to be done to get us back on the ships? I think that, you know, the investment that's going into, you know, sanitation and making sure that, you know, the, the protocols are going to be followed and, and the investment in infrastructure that's going to need to happen is staggering. And so for the cruise industry and the tourism industry at large, the hotel industry, you know, this is a, a huge um, influx of dollars that are going into making sure that people will be safe. And this is going to change the way people travel and it's going to change the travel industry. Um, and, you know, there, there is no going back, you know, we have to move forward with the assumption that this is going to be the new normal. Hey, I'm glad to see that on cruises. Uh, Susan mentioned, I'm going. yeah, Susan mentioned that we got something. I got H1N1 on a, on a Windstar, both, both Windstar cruises. Windstar, yeah. I got H1N1. Got My ship. son got enterotoxigenic E. coli and nearly died. <laughs> uh, I got H1 nearly, H1N1 nearly died. And these were both uh, contracted on a cruise ship. It was like happy graduation. Yeah. No, but, but we reported both of them and they never really got back to they us. They didn't do anything. They, they will now. I think that'll change. Yeah, I have a feeling. And that makes me feel even more confident to go on a cruise. So, And I'm sort of a germaphobe anyways. Um, I did not get either of those bugs when I was on the cruise with them. So, so you're better than us. I am. <laughs> uh, okay, Laurie, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll look for you at tourismcrisis.org. Thanks, Dr. Drew. All right, thank you so much. Uh, are we uh, going to have Kate call in? Is that yeah, she's going to call in. Okay, so shall I take some calls while we're waiting for her? Yeah, sure. All right, let's do Let that. me make sure she's got them. Uh, this is uh, Dawn. She's on the guest line. Whoop, hi, Dawn. Go ahead. You'll, you'll find Kate on the guest line. Hey, buddy. Let me see if she's up there. I see her. Hey, can you hear me okay? I hear you. What's going on? Oh, hi. Hi, Mommy. Hey, Mommy. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, big fan. Thanks, buddy. 
Um, Dr. Jeans. Um, all right. So, you know, I spent a lot of hours. I haven't lived the healthiest life. I've toured. Um, I'm a musician. Been mm-hmm. doing that for the last 24 years. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of a lot of hours in the van listening to a podcast and whatnot. But anyway, um, alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of lots of beers from the time I wake up till the time I go to sleep. Um, diet not so good. Uh, about seven years ago, started noticing blood uh, in the stool, mm-hmm. and I did have a colonoscopy, and that was probably like five years ago. And um, <clears throat> they were saying that because it was like a brighter blood. Uh, to make a weird analogy, is what the doctor said. Uh, um, like it was like uh, like syrup on top of the mm-hmm. ice cream. Like it comes out yep. after the brown yep. comes down. Yeah, we call that bright so bright red were, blood were, rectum. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they were. Yeah. So so they were saying that's a good thing, I guess. Um, but uh, I've just been noticing like um, lately, it's just like all the time. Um, all right. So yeah, when noticed, was your, like, how long? Hang, stuff, hang on a second. Like, hang on a second. How old are you? Uh, 38. Okay. Uh, and the colonoscopy was how long ago? Uh, like seven years ago. Okay. So you need to repeat that, right? You can still get polyps and cancers. Oh, man. Um, yep. Absolutely. That's <laughs> that's the case. And so that needs to be repeated, and that's good times. Uh, but the fact that you're alcoholic does put you at risk for, rect- for GI bleeding of all type, whether it's from the stomach or the esophagus or the, the rectal bleeding. Um People with liver disease get hemorrhoids, they bleed, but it all needs to be checked out before you continue. You need to be sure that this is not cancer before you do anything else, and then maybe go about treating that alcoholism. Is it time yet? Uh, well, I mean, if you're yeah, ready, I don't know. You got to be, be ready One for thing that. At a time, right? Got to be ready for that. And uh, when you're yeah. ready, there's lots of good people out there ready to help you. You can just go to a meeting. They're free. And if you want help, there's Camprol and there's naltrexone. There's all kinds of pharma- pharmaceutical assistance you can get if you want. Or medication-assisted treatment is the new term. And, uh, yeah, you're going to need to deal with it eventually. So sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with that. But the short-term problem is to go ahead and uh, get the uh, colonoscopy done. Dr. Kate Shanahan. Kate, do you agree with my recommendations there? I absolutely do. And the uh, frequency increasing made me think of a possible plumbing problem brought on by increased liver pressure. Like if his liver is getting worse, right. I think I remember right. uh, the cirrhosis, uh, some liver cirrhosis. Well, you know, there's more pressure upstream. They so get, yeah, more they get, tendency to bleed. They, they get portal hypertension and then they get hemorrhoids that bleed. That that's what happens to them, and okay. they even can get rectal varices and things. So okay, so before we get into the next topic, we're gonna have to take a little break. All right, Kate, hold on one second. We're gonna go to a whole new topic here in just a second, including you know what's uh, PC and not in medicine. Before we go there, uh, before we go to our break, um, I saw uh, some bunch of Twitter action with you in it today. It's, what happened? Did you see that? Um, geez, uh, I, I posted something yesterday, so it must still be about the thing that I did uh, showing that soy oil consumption per cap by country correlates somewhat loosely, but uh, so there's a pretty striking correlation with uh, coronavirus deaths. And what I was getting at really was there's uh, a lot of interesting evidence that we could be looking at to try to figure out what it is that's causing 
such a disparity in immune system response and, and disparity in the ability of one person versus another person to get over coronavirus, um, you know, quickly and efficiently. And so, uh, you know, it, people who know me know that I'm all about trying to warn people that the cells are pro-inflammatory and they're slowing down your immune system and, and making your immune system actually dangerous. And so what I did was I put up a post that was just a tiny little piece of, you know, some interesting evidence about how uh, the countries that have a, a very high rate of soy oil consumption also tend to have a higher rate of coronavirus deaths. And so, like, for example, the United States, we have a really high rate of soy oil consumption, and so does Brazil. Out of all the countries in South America, it has the highest rate of soy oil consumption, and it also has the highest death rate. And then um, what I, you know, what I didn't post, but like I, I was hoping that would be an overture to starting to look at, for people to look at some of the data themselves. But instead, what happened was people just started attacking the concept of looking at this data uh, because correlation doesn't imply causation, right. as if that's what I was saying. Right. But I always find it strange when people jump defense of um, the status quo, you know, especially especially when the status quo involves eating ungodly amounts of industrial oil. I, I would argue most of it is uh, non-scientific uh, posturing, because of course we know that causation and correlation are distinct phenomena. Of course we know that. Uh, and please, uh, it's perfectly always valid to go to question, are you, are you making the leap to causation? Is this just a correlation study? To bring that up, but then to demand it's correlative and not causational, that's not, that does non-scientific as insisting that a correlation study is causational. Yes, right. Go. And, you know, the correlation is it, for there to be a causation, there really ought to be a correlation. Right. So uh, the, that's kind of the starting point. Right. And no one's saying that it's the, the end point. Right. <laughs> but you can't ignore these correlations. Have you seen this? Uh, and claim to be scientific. Have you seen this New England Journal study, genome-wide association study of severe COVID with respiratory failure showing the six genetic clusters and the uh, chromosomal uh, piece associated with the bad outcomes? That's very interesting. I would bet that those chromosomal clusters have something to do with, um, you know, controlling inflammation or inability to control inflammation. Yep, they do. Right? So they do. And they're know, also, strangely, uh, they, they have... Yeah, they, they're they're associated with certain. Well, it's a little as always with biology. It's it's not it's not a narrative. It's not just so. It's a little complicated. Uh, but the two two of the six genes are associated with the cytokine system, and several of the genes have a relationship with blood type. And so it shows that uh, type O is a little more resistant and type A is a little more associated with infection and complication. I'm going to take a break. Kate, I just sent you the article by email. Take a look at it and see what you think. And uh, we'll take a little break and be right back. About a year ago, I was introduced to True Niagen, a supplement specifically designed to boost a key source called NAD. That's short for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And I was really impressed with the research that showed that increased NAD levels can promote cellular repair, maintain healthy mitochondria, and increase energy throughout the trillions of cells in our body. I've been taking True Niagen ever since, and I am truly persuaded 
which is why I'm so excited to welcome them back to the program. Let's get into how true niagen works. From age 40 to 60, humans can experience a 50% decline in NAD, leaving our cells with a shortage of that incredibly valuable energy resource. Additionally, things like immune stress, poor diet, even alcohol consumption can all deplete our cell NAD levels. Research suggests that increased NAD can support cellular defense against these physiological stressors. True Niagen is designed to boost NAD levels and is backed by clinical research and regulatory approvals. Now, while the research is still evolving, I am truly impressed by the possibilities surrounding NAD and the research behind True Niagen. And I suggest you check out their information for yourself. To learn more about the research, science, and to order your supply of True Niagen supplement, visit drdrew.com slash trueniagen and use the code drew at checkout for a special discount on orders of three bottles or more. So that's my website, drdrew.com slash T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N and use the code drew today. Are you one of the millions with a health condition that requires you to use needles? If so, please listen. Disposing of your needles properly is a big responsibility. Accidental needle sticks in the home can injure family members, children, and even your pets. I am Dr. Drew Pinsky, and I have an easy solution for the safe disposal of needles and the end to accidental needle stick injuries. You may have heard about Sand Mini. The Sand Mini is the affordable, foolproof way to dispose of needles. It's FDA approved, and with Sand Mini, it is easy. Just insert the needle, press the button, and in seconds, the needle is incinerated. Now you have a needle that is completely safe to discard. No sharp points, no bacteria, germs, or pathogens. Make sure your home and business is sand safe. Every needle, every time. Go online right now and use our special promo code DREW2020 for our best offer ever on the Sand Mini. That's nomoresharps.com. And remember, use my promo code DREW2020 for our special offer. I'm really very excited to be a, a part of that product that could change needle sticks. And of course, as I've said repeatedly, True Niagen is something I and Susan and Corolla all take. We've got Dr. Kate Shanahan with us. We're talking about the ways to protect yourself from a dietary standpoint, amongst other things. Uh, Kate, let's talk about your book to begin with. Um, can people get it as a Kindle or something? Well, tell them what happened. So uh, after I was on Bill Maher about a month ago, um, the talking about the, this topic, how people, what people can do to protect themselves from coronavirus, uh, within hours, all of the books on Amazon sold out, all of them, like uh, even the ones I wrote several years ago. Um, and... Uh, the, the the most recent book is the fat burn fix and that book has yet to come back um it's it's now the end of june and it's not going to be back until july 5th it mm. says so in the meantime though i guess other because there's audible and because there's Kindle editions and other locations that can sell it um it actually shot up to the new york times bestseller list which was a, a surprise to uh, everyone, including me, uh, because normally, you know, two or three months after release, that doesn't happen. So anyway, they were like, well, that no, no one saw that coming. And so that was for a while. That was the excuse as to why the books were not in stock at Amazon. But now the publisher says they've done everything to push them over to Amazon. And uh, for some reason, they are still not available in Amazon. I think you and, can get you can get uh, you know, the, I'm looking uh, at the website now, the Amazon site. You can get the Kindle. So people should download the Kindle right now if yeah. they want to read about it. And, and you can get it from non-Amazon uh, resellers, too. But for whatever reason, Amazon is refusing to put it back on. And 
I uh, it dawned on me that while I was on the show with Bill Maher, uh, Bill Maher had said, you know, not every he said something about in order to avoid these seed oils, you know, you have to spend more money on food, but not everyone can afford to shop at Whole Foods. And I had to jump in and say, you know, you're not safe there. Just because you're shopping at Whole Foods doesn't mean they're not selling you the cheapest possible soy and canola garbage. Right. And um, I forgot and that Amazon uh, is owned by Whole Foods. So I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if it's... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, did I say Whole Foods? Amazon owns Whole Foods, yes. so not the other way around. Yes. But, um, yeah, so so anyway, it could be just uh, your, your basic coronavirus-induced um, uh, difficulties, or, or there could be some bigger picture thing going on. But, I mean, this is a month now, and the books are not available. And I don't think that's ever happened for any other New York Times bestselling book. Interesting. Uh, and let's quickly, before we go on to the, the, our sort of topic I want to drill into a little bit, tell them the issue, the, your theory around the oils and what they should avoid and what they should include in their diet very quickly. So there's uh, the seed oils. I call them the hateful eight. And I have the list as an infographic on my website. So there's uh, soy, sunflower, um, safflower, cottonseed, corn, canola, rice, bran, and grapeseed oil. You don't need to memorize them. We got it but up. They we got are it up there. highly unstable. Thank you. They're highly unstable. They build up in our body fat. And then when we get sick and we are not eating, uh, they are released into the circulation in a high concentration. And we are trying to fight off an infection. Our bodies need to use a little bit of inflammation to actually kill the virus and help the stimulate the immune system, but because our, we have these highly unstable fatty acids in our body fat, the inflammation cannot be controlled. It's like, uh, you know, starting a, shooting a flamethrower in a tender, dry forest. It's just, it can't get uh, back under control the way it's supposed to, and we, we cannot effectively kill the virus. And so uh, some people actually end up dying more from their body's own immune system overreaction than the virus itself, and and that's kind of what has made this viral uh, this virus and the epidemic so scary is that it's seemingly unpredictable who's going to get hit so hard. Right. But I think this is a huge part of the equation. And you know, I I I, I have I said on Bill Maher that if anybody has been avoiding these oils and is under the age of sixty five and had a severe case of coronavirus, I want them to contact me because. Barring uh, like an underlying serious immune deficiency, like having an HIV infection or a chronic Lyme infection, that there would be nobody under the age of 65 in the intensive care unit or dying from. Um, where and, should they? Where so should far, they? No one has. Where should Where should they contact you? Through my website, drkate.com with a C. Okay, um, let's talk about the politically correct landscape as it pertains to medicine. I feel like science and medicine has been under an assault from the beginning of this whole thing, where physicians are not allowed to have opinions, that uh, talk show hosts and journalists are somehow now suddenly massively skilled in infectious diseases. To me, the bottom in this epidemic was where the New York Times editorial board demanded a national lockdown. What do they... They're in no position to have an opinion about it, let alone be demanding any non-pharmacological interventions that physicians advocate. 
I, I, what, what's your sense of this whole situation? Well, I, I kind of feel like that New York Times is uh, the capital of the, the new gotcha culture that we're all living in now. This is a, a new situation that's changed in the past couple of years where uh, there's, there's folks who just take pride in shaming people and they're putting folks like you and myself and uh, doctors who are speaking out about what we think is going on in a very difficult position because we've sworn an oath to protect people's lives. But, um, you know, and, and that, that impulse that we have to help when someone is hurting and say what we think is now pitted against this culture of don't do or say anything that displeases people, even when the people being offended are completely unreasonable, like being unreasonable about being offended. So we're crushed between these two imperatives, to heal and to never offend. And and so it's just shutting down the conversation in a very uh, dangerous way, I think, because it's, it's left, it's opened the door for uh, all kinds of conspiracy theorists and all kinds of people to join the conversation. And, uh, you know, when, when doctors can't really say what we think or we're afraid to say what we think or what we believe to be the best advice. Here's a, uh, a journal, uh, Travel Medicine and Infectious Disease. It's a highly thought of Elsevier peer-reviewed journal. Uh, this is from last week. Outcomes of 3,737 COVID-19 patients treated with hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, uh, a retrospective analysis, showed marked improvement with the early use in almost 4,000 cases of hydroxychloroquine azithromycin. There it is. There's a good study. Decent. It's got some weaknesses associated with it, but reason, uh, a, 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 at least a... Uh, literature-based um, justification for physicians prescribing hydroxychloroquine. And yet now talk show hosts are, are the ones adjudicating what physicians do with this chemical that I've been prescribing for decades. I don't know about you, but I've prescribed it hundreds of times. Never seen any problems with it. Yeah, it's a commonly used medication, and I prescribed it dozens and dozens of times, mm -hmm. at least, and, and, and also never seen a problem with it. But I think it's now it's like been tainted by a, basically a bad tweet, right? Like, you know, so we had uh, some perhaps not brilliant advice being doled out by our commander in chief about, uh, you know, getting any kind of similar chemical. And, uh, and now suddenly we can't talk about hydroxychloroquine or anything that the president has mentioned because, uh, he was, because he was wrong about it. That doesn't mean the medicine might not be beneficial to still. It's even, it's even more, so it's even more it's than, it's even more significant than it might not be the medicine is not beneficial. They have no goddamn business even discussing it. How to practice medicine is something, even the FDA stood up and said, hey, we're making recommendations. We are not telling doctors how to practice medicine. They have no freaking business even having an opinion. That's the part that drives me crazy. Well, we also live in a culture, in addition to this whole, you know, cancel culture and gotcha culture, we live in a culture of armchair experts where everyone who's read a few blogs about something 
and can regurgitate a little bit about what they said, feels like they have every right to tell experts, true experts, what to do. And we see this happening more and more with our culture because um, somebody much smarter than me speaks about this very well. I think it's uh, Sam Harris. He talks about the flattening of hierarchies where there's uh, among uh, like certain political parties, the left, there is a flattening of hierarchies. In other words, if you're an expert, your opinion doesn't have any more value than anyone else's opinion because there's no such thing as an expert. There's no such thing as hierarchy. And, uh, you know, this is a strange thing that has happened in our culture and it's affecting, now it's affecting medicine. And, and yes, that is extremely dangerous. And not only that, there is a misunderstanding of the difference between knowledge and experience. Like it's literally people read about riding a bike and feel they're an expert in riding a bike. Medicine, you have to have done these things thousands of times before you have expertise. I mean, you can't read about surgery. It's funny, surgery gets exempt from this because people can't can't do it, literally physically can't do it. But general medicine and our practice somehow falls under the rubric of information rather than an applied knowledge, which is what it is. We look, you you learn off the internet what we knew at the end of the second year of medical school. We then Kate and I each spent at least six or eight years after that training and then another ten years honing our expertise. That's what it takes to be an expert. Now, unfortunately the recent uh, pandemic and the models around the pandemic did nothing to increase the case for experts because people didn't understand what models were. So now they're now they have further undermined expertise because the models turned out to be so wrong, even though the rest of us looking at those models knew they would be wrong because we understand how they're to be used. Did, uh, did you say this uh, live before, Teresa? Don't confuse your me media platform with my medical expertise. No, there is a, there is a, there is a, no, no, close. I've said it before repeatedly, which is that friends of mine have begun to put up a, a framed plaque up in their waiting room that says, please do not confuse your Google search with my medical training. <laughs> That's the statement. And that that sort of gets right okay. at it. That's get gets right to it. And and it's it can't be emphasized strongly enough uh, because it, it's people, you know, they've they've run amok. And, and yet the strange thing is people want to use experts to buttress their opinions. Uh, and again, models are notoriously inaccurate. Just think about models that predict the market or the weather. Don't put models are just sort of guidelines for us to begin to have conversations they are not predictions of the of the future leslie thomas said yes the running dunning kruger effect has run wild are you familiar with dunning kruger kate oh yeah the the less that you are an expert the more you think you are correct that's essentially it like it's essentially the thing that lets you stand up on american idol and sound like hell and then say i did a great job wasn't i great that it's, would be me yeah so it's it's you know this is just the nature of how our mind works i, I was talking to christina p about this this morning that we have an over-reliance on our thinking. Our thinking is distorted by many different cognitive processes. 
many different ones. We're under, we have motivated reasoning. We reason from conclusion. We have cognitive dissonance. All of us do. Uh, you know, I see, you, I'm sure you've you know, treated your share of addicts too, Kay, because you can't avoid it in medicine today. And their thinking is completely disturbed. And that's where you see it the most is stinking thinking. But it's, it's everywhere. Our, our cognitive processes are not pure. Unless you're a scientist and then you do the best you can to fight back those cognitive distortions with the scientific process. And that scientific process means that you might be wrong sometimes, and it doesn't make you evil. It just means that you didn't have all the data that you have right now. It doesn't make you a flip-flopper. It's not, it's not like politics. Science is, science is not like politics. And I think people during this pandemic have mixed the two because in the beginning, some experts were saying, uh, you know, this is going to be very mild, and then... Uh, we were hearing conflicting information and the fact is that we are watching something new unfold and for anyone to be able to stand up and say I can predict the future um, I don't think anyone did that I think people were saying um, here's what I think is going on and if I'm right it means this will happen and it doesn't mean that if they're wrong they're the devil or they need to be called out it means that no now probably we got some new information that helps refine the situation better help us understand the situation so we can make our next prediction better but if we shut down people who say anything and ever turn out to be wrong then the only people who are going to be talking are going to be the media yeah right now in the united states we have three so million 3,800,000 cases of uh, COVID-19. In 2009, we had 60 million cases of H1N1. 60 million. And no one knew that was happening. That was what I kept emphasizing. 13,000 dead, 275,000 hospitalized, a billion worldwide, 500,000 dead worldwide. We, you, you're, you didn't experience that because no one informed you when it was happening. So I was trying to get people to calibrate their emotions to the present moment. But that's considered anathema. I mean, the, the, the lifeblood of science is humility. And for someone in the media to stand up and say, well, you know, Dr. Drew said or Dr. Kate said, and it turned out not to be true, as if they would have done a better job, uh, is, is just a blatant um, you know, disregard for actual science. They, they totally just don't understand what science is. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to mention something that's kind of crazy what's happening now in the companies that are allowed to be open. So I work for a wine company. Uh, they sell wine in a retail situation. And Business is really booming because the restaurants are closed and, um, you know, people are stuck inside and everybody needs more booze. So um, we are uh, we are navigating all these rules and contact tracing. And um, and it's 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 insane. If we were to actually follow what the CDC recommended, there'd be nobody working because they want if anybody had a contact with coronavirus. The original recommendations were that you're supposed to stay home for 14 days. Well, now that there are so many cases, 
um, there's almost nobody in our company who hasn't been in contact with somebody. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so we have to kind of, we're, we're sort of making our own rules based on the best evidence that we have. But the point I'm making is that we're, we're not, we wouldn't have done this in a flu season, a regular flu season. The most of our employees who have been out with the coronavirus have like they had such mild cases they didn't suspect it was a coronavirus so they kept working like one person was kind of tired for two weeks and one day she was busy and and that's it mm-hmm. but during those two weeks and she ended up getting tested because uh someone else in her family had got tested and she was supposed to get tested so during those two weeks there were so many people in the store that she had been working with that now have to get tested. And if we were supposed to keep them out, we wouldn't have any stores open. Like right. the, the grocery stores would all be shut down. We wouldn't, there would be nothing happening if we were following the rules. So, you know, if there's just like who at the top here is thinking any of this through, especially given now well, that's that we the, have all this evidence yeah. that most of are mild. That's the other part uh, that really bugged me which is that the people making the decisions do not know how to make risk-reward. They're not accustomed to making risk-reward decisions, which you and I do five time, 50 times a day. And I knew there would be tons of untoward consequences. And now we're having this massive increase in deaths of, of despair. We're having just tr- people being forced into poverty. They're going to have all kinds of health consequences from that. I mean, it really, these the no medical decision is made in a vacuum. And governors are not used to making those decisions. And what, when are we going to admit that we're wrong? We were wrong and we should maybe be careful about the old folks and the vulnerable people. Maybe keep them, mm-hmm. you know, in isolation. But let let others, let's let our economy... Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about the elderly for a second. You you, you were the first to bring up on this thread a couple months ago uh, the idea of uh, discussing end of life issues before somebody gets COVID or before they're on a ventilator. Which um, back in you know when I was doing a lot of ICU medicine, that was a routine conversation. I don't know what has happened, but putting an eighty year old on a ventilator was was considered unethical, let alone cruel. And now all of a sudden we're throwing a bunch of eighty-five-year-olds on ventilators. What happened, and what do we need to do? Well, half of the the statistics are showing that at least in the state of Florida, almost half of the people that enter the hospital with coronavirus when they're over eighty-five don't come out alive. Right. And and that's that's all overall hospitalizations. It's got to be even higher in the intensive care unit. Right. And why isn't that? part of the, the conversation yet, right? Because exactly. that's kind of important. We should be, you're sick enough that you need to go into the hospital. This is, so there's a low chance that you're going to come out, right? And that, and you are potentially taking a bed from somebody else. Are you okay with that? Right. Just realize that everybody who goes in the hospital, no matter their age is if we are ever going to get out of the point and we are not there yet, anywhere near there, and we probably won't get there. Even in Miami-Dade County, I looked it up when you guys were talking about that earlier. Yeah, plenty of ICU beds left, so we're right. nowhere near. So this idea of the hospital is overwhelmed in Miami-Dade County wrong. Do not listen to the press. Stop it. Now they could get overwhelmed. Not that they can't, but they are not overwhelmed. Stop it, for God's sakes. The emergency. 
Right. Yeah. The, that's one thing. The emergency rooms might be really crowded, but there's plenty of beds, there's plenty of ICU beds, right. and that's what really, you know, so, really so let, let me ask you a question because I used to work in nursing homes a lot and this data did not surprise me uh, even though I could keep people alive sort of indefinitely if that's what the family demanded which I always thought was cruel what is the average life expectancy after somebody is admitted to a nursing home how long does the average person survive after being severe such so sufficiently debilitated neurologically and physically and medically that they need a round-the-clock institutional care what's the average life expectancy kate what would your guess be that's a very important question and i would say it's very short matter of months six months six months so in terms of us d directing the total resources of the country to extending life in people whose life expectancy is six months on average what are we doing and don't forget that just because you survive the hospital and intensive care unit doesn't mean you're going to be back to the way you were whatever it was before oh, the, the problem if you're 85 if you're if you're 85 and you've been on a ventilator your probability of surviving a year is zero and even then uh the kind of year you will live through is cruel unconscionable hey by the way i don't want to thank the uh, viewers that are supporting the show with the uh, youtube super chats we really appreciate that and susan you were going to throw their questions out as they come through so can't hear you just found out i'm on where your mom's at and i'm trying to help christina promote it I, okay susan is on where your mom's at with christina p and that's what has preoccupied her as opposed to our our important conversation kate so uh, we hey, appreciate I produced this i know what you're talking about yeah okay so um, throw in the alzheimer's thing too remember that headline we saw yesterday yeah there was a headline that said alzheimer's kate keep covid is killing alzheimer's patients yeah it's killing nursing home patients most nursing home patients have dementia yeah that's that's saying the same thing and again their life expectancy six months now i've kept people alive a lot, lot longer than that and i can do that in sort of suspended animation uh, personally i don't know about you kate but personally i'm making it i susan and i had a conversation about this at dinner last night i let me go call hospice let me go at home or you're the neighbor's house if you want if you can't handle it i do not want to go in a nursing home ever what do you think uh, that's such an important conversation to have because when it comes down to it, if you ask people this question ahead of time, most people, the vast majority, will say, I, I don't want to go in a nursing home. Or at the very least, if you ask them about the intensive care unit issue, like if you are in a nursing home, should we transport you to uh, intensive care unit if, if you need it? They say, no way. I mean, I, when I was in Hawaii, there was there was this, I think I have very healthy fear of having a machine breathe for you. And this is true at every age. But the uh, the uh, the religion the, the in Hawaii that I, I noticed, there was a correlation between whether they were Buddhist or not. And the folks who were Buddhist, were, they were so okay with death. They were with dying and talking about it. They were That's mature true. about it. They would have, they would say, I'm going to take care of mama in my, in my house because I'm not afraid of seeing somebody die. It's part of life. It's I, part of the cycle of life, right? I don't mind so, people dying, though. Who doesn't go into the cycle, like, right? Watching yep. Drew so die it, would be it, sweet, was just, but... It was a it'd be sweet. Thing. It wasn't... It <laughs> was or like being a, there for... You know joy what I mean? Like, to visit these houses. 
Yeah, yeah but I don't want anybody to die in my house. Too, I, ba- that's too bad. That may be where I want to die. Oh, well, we better get that in writing, right? Because <laughs> she's going to send me out. Oh, my God. I may go before you. You see what so. I'm dealing with? Um, it's harder to sell the house. Oh, please. <laughs> the hospice is such a common thing now. I don't need hospice to. happens everywhere. No, I'm, it, listen, there's so many reasons why. You have a daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. She'll take care of me? Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> so. Well, your mother, your mother was in her house until she pretty much died. But you went; she went to the hospital when it was time, and she didn't. You know, uh, that was I mean, if that, you pass in the house, you pass in the house. Yeah, that was not. We're talking about nursing homes. That, she had an acute illness that went bad. Right. That's different than when you, you deteriorate to, to the point that you need people to turn you and wipe your ass and feed you. I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah, but how do you? St- Stop that. You, you just stop feeding and and stop food and liquids and you get hospice involved. In the house. Wherever. Okay. We can figure out a place. I'm going to go to Kate's house. <laughs> Kate, how do you feel about that, Kate? She got a boat. We can put you out on a boat. Yeah, I like that. I like that, too. Oh, no. Yeah, we're going to take that cruise. So do you have anything, Susan, there for us to address before I go to calls? I'm trying to I'm trying to get on here. I don't know All right, why. Kate, let's go to some calls here. These are kind of interesting uh, calls. This is Izzy. Uh, Izzy, go ahead and ask a question. Oh, um, this is for Dr. The Dr. Drew. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hey, buddy. Um, do I speak now? I don't know. Yes, yes. Speak now, please. Okay. I would like to ask, um, I, have a, I had a condition where I'm 66 years old. I have COPD. Mm-hmm. And uh, about six weeks ago, my left leg towards the ankle um, uh, within 30 minutes, five minutes, swelled to three, three times the size of my right leg at the right angle. It's almost elephantine in proportion. Do me a favor. I had no pain. In do me a favor. Do me a favor. Uh, okay. I want you I want you to sure, do a little, sure. something for me. Touch your right leg and then your left leg. Is there a temperature difference? Um. No, not okay, now. Okay, and I want you to stick your thumb, I want you to stick your thumb firmly into your right th- shin. Your right shin. And tell me sure. if the thumb leaves a dent. Yeah. No. No no dent on the right side? No. Okay. So, Izzy, I, I'm going to put you on hold, and Kate and I are going to talk talk about you. So, Kate, obviously, deep venous thrombosis is the big concern there. Uh, you know, cellulitis can also look like DVT. But, um, and by deep venous thrombosis, we mean a clot has formed in the large vein in the middle of the thigh and calf. And that can be very, very dangerous. You need an ultrasound of that leg because then it'll lead to pulmonary embolus. I, I will tell you, I'll let Kate talk in just a second, but I will say that, eh, Three times out of five when people tell me this, they actually have swelling in both legs and one is just more than the other. And one of the things you can get with your COPD is pulmonary hypertension, and that is associated with leg swelling of both legs, but one can be more than the other. And if you have COPD, you can get heart disease and heart failure on top of that. And separate from pulmonary hypertension, that can cause leg swelling, and all that should be evaluated. Uh, And I think, Kate, in their comment, they were saying the doctor is telling them not to go to the hospital because of fear of COVID. 
Do you agree with all that? Do you add any, what do you want to add anything to that? Wow. Uh, yes, you did a great job of summarizing it. The, the reason that the deep venous thrombosis can be really bad is that pieces of it can break off and travel to the lungs, and then you get a clot in the lungs, and that can cause a sudden pulmonary collapse. Um, so, you know, the fact that it's been, if it is, let's say, you're, uh, you know, that's what it is, and I, that's kind of the worst-case scenario that I can think of, um, then the fact that it's been stable for um, a month, a week is is good news, but still, that's much more likely to uh, be a problem than catching a coronavirus from going to the hospital right. with all the PPE right. and everything, all that's the protocols right. that that's they're right. following. More likely to get some hype from a grocery store right so we don't we don't want to tell your you know we don't want to override your doctor but if you had called either of us us we would say hey go to the emergency room or at least get that ultrasound done um and it's funny that 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 question when i was teaching medical students and in med i've taught in many different departments and when i would teach in medicine that the third years and sometimes the fourth years that, that's always the the case i would give them a leg is swollen what do you do <laughs> To me, it's like medicine 101. Uh, okay, that's Izzy. Um, and uh, let me look at the thread here just a second. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, thanks to uh, Randy Holt for the super chat. Thank you so much, my friend, for that. We appreciate it very, very, very much. Um, is there anything else, Kate, you, you can think of from the standpoint of the sort of politically correct world that medicine is entangled with? I, I mean, there are things that, that we like... <laughs> I, I've got some topics I want to bring up, but but that that it just it's bizarre to me that things get labeled as biological essentialism if you are talking about the practice of medicine and the presence of biology. Somehow that's essentialism. Well, I think to the the point about like politically correct and should we worry about that? I I, I think you know it's uh, uh, not a good road to go down because it's almost never been the case that in difficult times in history that the the you know the the people who have who need to be heard are saying what's popular you know it, it, it's always taken some bravery to say what needs to be heard and this goes for politicians and scientists and community organizers and certainly goes for doctors so you know i'm i'm actually i'm proud to stand with you to be saying what I think needs to be said. Mm -hmm. And we don't go to medical school for the like. No. Well, thankfully, there was nothing like oh, that. No, we, thankfully, there was nothing like that when we went to medical school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I um, was telling, talking to someone the other day about my concern about uh, people with who announce a sexual orientation of asexual without first getting a medical evaluation when somebody loses their libido at any age especially young that is a medical condition until proven otherwise then then make your then announce your sexual orientation but somehow it's biological essentialism or shaming to even say that 
uh, I will uh, let me be clear. It's murder not to say that. You're going to have people with serious medical illnesses that go undiagnosed until it's too late. So let's be clear about this. Stop it with the telling doctors how to practice medicine or what our opinions have to be. I think that what they're doing is they're trying to control language. Mm -hmm. And once you control language, that is the first and necessary step to, to a cultural takeover, a political takeover. So, you know, if, if, uh, if that sounds extreme, um, you know, political takeover, it's a takeover of, of like fascist type thinking, right? You have to agree with me. There's no room for thought. There's no room for discussion. You have to agree with me or I will bring whatever power I have to bear against you. And to and, be fair, and, and to be fair, so, uh, I, if you look at Alex Berenson, the, the new burning of books is not allowing the books to be sold on Amazon. That's burning the books. So when you talk about the uh, bonfire of the vanities, everybody, there don't have to be flames. It's the same thing. Kate can't get her book sold. Alex Berenson couldn't get his book sold. Oh, by the way. That's insane. Your, that's your insane. Your book's back in stock, but it's not available until the 2nd of July. But it looks like you can still, you can buy it. And I told you can get the You can get the Kindle. No, you can get the hardcover too. It's coming back. We, we, somebody called in to tell us, Kate. Maybe it was someone from Amazon because they just called and hung up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you couldn't buy it. Like there was no buy button when I looked. A couple hours it's ago. Available. So that's it's available. Oh, really? Let yeah, there, there was a buy button when I looked. But think about it. You are part of the bonfire of the vanities. Th think about it, Kate. I mean, that's really what this is. Yeah, you can buy it. Somebody just bought it. Well, uh, this is, uh, you know, I did thank you, uh, Drew. You actually could not have come up with a better uh, advertisement for the book. The idea that the information in the book is really important. If it's that important that people are, you know, willing to, uh, to censor us uh, to to violate our basic civil liberties, uh, then uh, it must be some pretty important information in there. <laughs> they also call it the Streisand effect. <laughs> if something is, uh, yeah, it's a little bit different, but uh, people get intrigued when there's something they're being withheld from them. Uh, okay, well, we got to kind of wrap things up. Kate, as always, it's good to talk to you. We've gotten, gotten some different territory this time. Uh, bottom line on Kate's book is uh, it's how to stay healthy, how to lose weight, how to prevent metabolic syndrome, how to prevent the complications of COVID. Uh, I've been trying to stick by her recommendations since I first met you like four or five years ago. Uh, I've only been sort of good about it since uh, last maybe two or three years. But uh, I stick with butter, tallow, and uh, olive oil. And now we have av avocado oil mayonnaise, Kate. You'll be happy to know. Oh, excellent. I love it. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me on again, uh, Christine, what the hell is there to censor about fat burning? Well, the censorship is she she took off against Whole Foods. She didn't she didn't sign on to the universal uh, church of Whole Foods. Isn't that about right? Yeah, and I was saying that uh, the products that they sell, because most of the ready-to-eat stuff and salad dressings has got some one of the hateful eight oils in there that's really not worth the price. You really have to look. They don't protect you. They're not looking out. I mean, you really have to look at the label of everything you buy in the market. I Since I saw this chart, I've been doing it. It takes a lot of, a lot of investigation. 
Same thing with carbohydrates. If you're going to try to go no starch, no grain, it's, it's you got to pay attention. But so. once you find the things that are good for you, you just eat those. Just that easy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, <laughs> all right, Kate, what, what else coming up for you? Anything else you want to talk about before we sign off? Well, um, I'm just happy to be on your show again. I think this is a really important topic that we're talking about because we're, you know, there's, there's, uh, this is a crazy time that we're living in. And uh, I think the, the wrong people are driving the conversation because they don't have their hearts in the right place. I, I think they are all about the life. And, 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 they're not and, necessarily about and to be fair, to be fair, you and I are not talking about politics. I don't know what your political views are. I haven't expressed any of my political views, or I'll tell you, they're just super moderate. That's why I don't express them too much. But we're just talking about the the cultural uh, 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 overtaking of the practice of medicine uh, in the name of uh, very spurious sorts of concerns by people who are not should not be in a position to do that. Is that about accurate? Yes, it's like suddenly um, diagnosis can be politically incorrect to tell some to give somebody what you think is an accurate diagnosis. Very much like that. I mean, imagine if you know there was a censor a censorship happening as you are going to a doctor trying to find out what's wrong with you, and there's somebody else in the room saying, "Well, don't say this because that might be offensive to somebody else." And not say saying it, and not saying it could have deadly consequences from our perspective. Absolutely. All right, Kate. Thank you so much. As always, I always enjoy your stuff. Um, uh, the what was the first book again that I like so much? The uh, deep nutrition. Deep nutrition. Deep nutrition. Uh, also, thank you to Stephanie Lutz for supporting the show by the YouTube super chat. We appreciate it. The Fat Burn Fix is the new book, uh, according to. My producer, you can get it now at Amazon. You can yeah. certainly get the Kindle at Amazon, and you can also get the audiobook, correct, Kate? Definitely. Okay. The e version. Go get it. All right, my dear. We will talk to you soon, no doubt. Uh, keep fighting the good fight, and uh, we'll just keep talking about what we know to be true based on lots and did lots you hear of experience. Stephanie our Lutz had a question. Our S super chatter. Oh, did she? Okay, I'm going to let Kate go first. Okay. See you, Kate. Okay. Love you, Kate. Bye. There she goes. Okay, what does Stephanie want to ask? Is someone with fatty liver from alcohol considered high risk? Um, yeah, for a couple reasons. Uh, it takes a long time to get fatty liver disease. Uh, so, And fatty liver disease, whether it's due to alcohol or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, is associated with some immune dysfunction. And particularly, the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is associated with metabolic syndrome, which is the main risk factor for COVID. And alcoholics with uh uh, fatty liver disease, their immune system is not functioning very well. So if you have fatty liver disease, uh, particularly a female, Stephanie, if this is you, you have a very high probability of going on to cirrhosis. Women have about a high, seven times higher risk of cirrhosis than men. And uh, you got you to gotta pay attention. You got to pay attention to that. It may be time to get some treatment for the alcoholism. Anything else, Susan? Any other questions in there? No. All right. Randy said we another great show. Well, thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. Appreciate all you guys on the chat. I'm watching you. Um, I paid him to say that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> let me see if there's anything else from anybody else. Thank you, Maureen, for the, the shout out. Um, 
Mm-mm-mm. Fox 11 reports that COVID virus grows. <laughs> That's just a joke. Um, <laughs> what was it? Nah. Uh, better for your mom. There's a house. lot of jokes flying by right yeah. now. <laughs> so let me kind of. Uh, should opioid users quit turkey, cold turkey immediately if physically dependent or will withdrawals make the COVID worse? Um, yeah, I suppose it could. Uh, it doesn't. That's not identified as a specific risk factor, but uh, people don't tend to get through opiate withdrawal on their own. So you're going to want to talk to them about about either some kind of medication assisted treatment and there's various options for that. You might want to mention our upcoming shows. Hmm. We have Dr. Maybe you Zel- help me with that. Zelenko. Zelenko. Tomorrow. Andrew, you'd be happy to know we got Dr. Zelenko in here finally. At 3 p.m. tomorrow, mm-hmm. okay. Tuesday. And then we have uh, Tyrus coming back on Wednesday with John Schneider. Oh, that's of fine. The from Dukes, Dukes of Hazard. Hazard. Great. And, and then Thursday is a wild card at this point. Uh, Thursday's going to be early. I've got stuff booked all through there if you look at the schedule. So we'll have to do Thursday okay. early we in the day. We don't have to do it. And then we can, I'll be here Friday too. So. All right. So Friday we'll do something as well. Well, wait, so. no, I'm leaving Thursday. But I forgot what week it was. Oh. It's okay. It's it's 4th of July weekend. That's correct. Yay. All right. Let me just look one more time at your um, at your chat here. Did you? Are casino a big risk place to go? Well, I mean, this, they're riskier than you're staying home. Uh, I, I worry about the bars people drink a little excessively and get in each other's face but if you wear a mask and wash your hands and keep your distance everywhere is a pretty safe place to be that's the reality that distancing and masks work as well as quarantine i repeat this all the time there's no evidence that staying at home and sheltering in place is superior to wearing a mask and distancing and washing your hands so there you go I will leave it at that. We thank you all for being here. Thank you to thank you for um, the callers. Thank you for the callers. Thank you for the super chats. We appreciate it very, very much. Thank you to Caleb. Thank you to Lindsay. You've been sort of sitting quietly. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, we will see you tomorrow at the same time, like about three o'clock. We'll see you then. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. This is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. I'm a licensed physician with over 35 years of experience, but this is not a replacement for your personal physician, nor is it medical care. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, anytime, 24-7, for free support and guidance. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.